Hello everyone, this is Maria from the Fitness Fertility Podcast. It's summertime and Roshan and I are taking a well-earned break and we will both be heading off on holiday over the next few weeks. Now, do not worry, we still have fantastic shows coming your way and we will be sharing with you three of our favourite interviews from the past year. In this week's show, we are revisiting my conversation with the fabulous nutritionist Julia Young. Julia is a qualified and experienced nutritionist, and she talks us through some of the key things you can do to support your fertility via your nutrition. Keep listening to find out what you can eat to support your fertility. You may even want to take notes on this one. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specializes in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. In this week's episode, I am very excited because we are talking with the fabulous Julia Young from Julia Young Nutrition. Julia is a qualified nutritionist specializing in fertility. She trained at the Institute for Optimum Nutrition. She is a certified practitioner for the Fertility Nutrition Center. She is a resident expert for Aura Fertility. And to be honest, she has many other qualifications, which (laughs) I'm sure she can talk to us about as we go through. But she is fantastically well qualified and we're very excited to have you here. Hello, Julia. Hello. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We are delighted to have you. I am actually very excited. For our listeners, the background is Julie and I are, I'm going to go wild and call us friends and colleagues. We have worked together on some courses before. We met for real life, actually, at the fertility show for the first time ever, having actually done a course and spoken to each other many times. And that was our first real life meeting. It was a joyous occasion. So, Julia, would you mind telling us a little bit about your own journey and how you got into nutrition and fertility? In my 20s, I wasn't very healthy. I wanted to lose weight. And so I sort of adopted a low fat, no fat regime. And I was working out a lot. I was doing lots of running. I was always going to the gym, my lunch break. And really, my goal was to, you know, it was an aesthetic goal, it was to be thin. And I was also taking the pill long term. And then um, we decided we wanted to start a family. So I came off the contraceptive pill and my periods didn't come back. And at first we thought, that's fine, you know, it will happen. But about nine months down the lane, still no periods of fine. we need to go to the doctors and have some investigations. And they did some very basic tests and said, no, everything's fine, you know, no problem. But eventually we realised, you know, no periods, I'm not going to get pregnant. So more tests were done and I was eventually diagnosed with borderline polycystic ovarian syndrome. So the first port of call was to try Clomid. So we did several rounds of Clomid, but unfortunately that didn't work. And actually, um, amazingly, what was told to us after that was your next option is adoption. And I thought, hang on a minute, surely there's a few other treatments out there before adoption. We went for IVF, lots of cycles, overstimulating, all that sort of thing. So it took a while to work. But eventually I got that positive pregnancy test, but then unfortunately miscarried quite soon afterwards. From then we tried IUI and it did work and um, had my first child, which was fantastic. And then we decided we wanted to try for a second child and IUI didn't work for us. So then it was IVF for the second one. 
During those, that whole period, so it was a period of about seven years, I still didn't get a period during all those years, so, so no cycle at all. And it was only after having my second child, I decided to change my diet and lifestyle, and to my amazement, my periods returned. And this is really where I discovered the power of nutrition and decided to go on and study it. And then decided to undertake specialist training in fertility so that I could go on and, and help other women and couples struggling to conceive. So I've heard some of your story before, but I haven't heard all of it, actually. You know the bit where you said you first changed your nutrition? Where did you get the information about that from? I'd done some initial courses, actually, some online courses. So I got some basic knowledge of nutrition from that point. And that's really what made me want to go on and, and do a bit more. And from what I was learning kind of online wasn't enough to go on and help people. So I knew I needed to go and, and study with the Institute for Nutrition. But it was reading around things. And I think it was understanding that, you know, what I was doing was quite extreme. A lot of people do this and still tempted by those fat-free foods. It is very tempting to go down that route. We need fat for so many reasons and hormone production is part of that. Really making sensible choices and probably the fact that I had kids and slowing down myself, which really helped make those initial changes. It wasn't a quick fix, you know, it took time for it all to start up again. Did you find the switch changing those eating habits difficult? Because I know that there can be an element of anxiety with some people. When you've been doing something and you're like, I'm thin and maybe you're looking how you want to look. I know for a lot of people, it's really hard for them to switch onto what is ultimately a healthier diet, but it can be quite anxiety inducing. Did you feel emotionally any stress with that or were you ready? I was ready to do it. And this is kind of going off a bit of a tangent, but what was never explained to me, other than not being able to have a family, what were the other negative sides to not having any periods? And one thing that's affected my health is my bone health has suffered because I had such a long time without periods and I now have osteopenia. So this is something I have to deal with for the rest of my life and support nutritionally and through exercise, etc. But I was never told of any of these things that could happen if you don't have a period. And I actually thought back in the day, oh, it's a, you know, having a period is not exactly the most convenient thing. It's quite nice not to have to have that monthly worry or, the, you know, the PMS and all that sort of thing. It is difficult to make those changes when you firmly believe. I mean, I was a Weight Watchers client. They drum me into you every week that you need to not eat the fat and you count your points and all that sort of thing. So it did take a long time. And actually doing the long-term studying at ION was what helped me because I was learning the science behind it. And once I understood the science, I knew this is the right thing to do. You're absolutely right. It can be anxiety promoting. And so you do need to be careful. And that's why having someone to help guide you with the right thing to do is really important. I often wonder when I've switched how I eat, it can bring a little bit of anxiety with it. Speaking of science, what do we mean by fertility-friendly foods? Okay, so if you think when you put food in your mouth, which we obviously do on a daily basis, several times a day, that piece of food can either enhance your health and your fertility or not. And in some cases, it could even do some harm. So I'm not really talking about just one or two of those sort of superfoods that are going to suddenly make you pregnant or really make a difference. It's really about adopting a way of eating that's going to enhance your fertility. And your fertility is linked to your overall health. You know, all our body systems are interconnected. So if your health is not optimum, then it can negatively impact your fertility. And there's lots and lots of foods that can support your fertility and support egg and sperm health. And probably too many for me to kind of list off, you know, during this podcast. But a good starting point would be to adopt the Mediterranean way of eating. Go out and invest in a Mediterranean cookbook. I think that's a really good place to start to give you, you know, some ideas and inspirations of how you should be eating. For those that don't know, the Mediterranean way of eating and living is all about being social and active. You know, no TV dinners, no kind of slumped on the sofa, cramming in food, but sitting around a table together as a couple or as a family, having a conversation, being social, taking your time over a meal. And then it's about eating lots of plants. 
Cruciferous vegetables are really your your leafy vegetables. So your broccolis, your kale, your cabbages, your cauliflower, you know, they're amazing sources of fiber and for helping with hormonal health. And really seeing those vegetables as kind of the hero of your plate. They shouldn't just be a garnish on the side, but really you should be saying to yourself all the time, where are my vegetables? Where are they coming from for this meal? We want variety in there and we want plenty of good quality protein. And that could be in the form of fish, some meat and also plant proteins as well. And then also featuring there is um, whole grains. So as opposed to those refined foods, your refined foods, I often like to explain, they're a bit like your sort of white fluffy carbs that you get. So things like think your white pasta, your white rice, your white potatoes, whereas with the whole grains, we're wanting those foods that are really fibrous brown rice, sweet potatoes, wholemeal pasta, things like that. Healthy fats and oils play a really big part as well. And there is still room for some sweet treats, but they should be seen more as occasional, not sort of an an everyday regular occurrence, unfortunately. I'm devastated. You knew this already, Maria. I know, but I'm still upset. I was hoping you'd change, (laughs) Julia, you know, but you haven't. I just want to point out that Maria is Italian. She claims to be Italian. I am. My name is Maria. Where did you think I was from? When we're talking about the Mediterranean diet, Maria, we are not talking about swelling pasta. Uh, That is not what we're talking about. I would like to say I'm actually really enjoying listening to Julia. And the thing I think is really important is when you talked about the Mediterranean diet, but you also talked about the lifestyle, so Mm -hmm. the getting up, the moving around. And actually, I've never really heard anyone mention that before. I think that's a really key thing. It's the active side of it. Yeah, you could be eating some amazing meal, but if you're kind of sat on the sofa and you're shoving it down, you're not going to be absorbing your nutrients. Or if you're eating it in a, at your desk in a stress situation, if we're stressed, we know that fertility more or less shuts down. Our digestion shuts down as well. So we need to be in that parasympathetic relaxed mode in order to digest our food and get the most out of it. No, I like that. I'm just having flashbacks to when I was a child. We used to have like eight course meals. This is the Italian way. Yeah. One of the key things that I get asked about probably, I don't know, 95% of the time is this really tricky one with BMI. Because obviously the fertility journey is really tough because clinics like the BMI of 29 or below, a lot of the conditions make it harder to actually lose weight, like PCOS, make it really easy to gain weight. So the whole thing is tough. Just from your perspective, we wanted to know how important you think BMI is when it comes to fertility. It's a really tough one. You know, when you're told you need to lose weight before you, for example, undergo fertility treatment. And as I say, you've covered this previously, but the research shows that a higher BMI is associated with lower pregnancy rates, lower live birth rates per IVF cycle, and higher rates of miscarriage in fertility treatment and from spontaneous conception. And then you need to think also, plus being obese or having increased weight puts the mother and baby at risk. So for conditions like gestational diabetes, large or small for gestational age babies, and premature birth, for example. Then also with obesity, you've also got an increased rate of C-section birth and postpartum hemorrhage, congenital birth defects. um, And then think of the child themselves, increased risk of obesity for the child later in life, elevated blood pressure in the child and increased risk of diabetes. So a lot of factors there to consider. I do think it's important to be within a healthy weight range, but we need to put this into context and we need to understand the sort of time that's involved with that you know that you have to go through fertility treatment and say you get to that clinic and you're told, well, yes, you can have it, but you need to get that BMI down. The temptation is just to crash diet. Why wouldn't you? You want to lose it quickly, get rid of it so you can get your treatment because everyone wants to get pregnant tomorrow. But it's important to be aware that we store toxins in our adipose, our fat tissue. And when you lose weight, the developing eggs and sperm are exposed to these toxins. We don't want that. We don't want the eggs and sperm to be damaged from that. 
weight loss should be done as something that's slow and effective that will stay off. And as a side to that, one of the popular ways now to losing weight is the ketogenic diet. A lot of people have turned to that as, you know, if they need to lose stone after stone, let's, let's just go keto. For those that aren't aware of it, you know, it's a very popular diet. It can be effective and it's really all about avoiding those carbohydrates or really restricting them. And, you know, vegetables are carbohydrates, so it could even mean not eating vegetables. Lack of carbohydrates, we need them for our ovulation. They can disrupt ovulation. It could be that your period stops and things like that if you're completely cutting out food groups. And it can also, you know, destroy your gut microbiome. We need those carbohydrates to feed the gut bugs as well. If you have a lot of weight to lose, keto can be effective in the short term. My recommendation, if you're trying to conceive, I wouldn't be doing that diet at the same time. So really, the aim should be slow and steady weight loss. um, So the weight stays off and not, you know, obsessively, for example, counting calories. If you're going to count something or look at something, look at the nutrients on your plate and think every time you're eating, have I got all the nutrients I need to support my fertility? Healthy fats is important. It's not about no carb, but potentially lower carb. It may be about reducing your carbohydrates. You know, even looking at vegetables, certain vegetables have higher carbohydrates than others. Focusing on vegetables that grow above the ground, for example, your leafy greens, as I mentioned before, salads, that sort of thing. They're the lower carb ones. And the ones that grow below the ground, like your potatoes, pumpkins, squashes, carrots, they tend to be higher carbohydrates. But having less of those can be beneficial. And by focusing really on your health rather than your weight, the weight really should come off naturally and stay off. So much information in there. I love the kind of above ground, below ground thing. I like what you were saying about the habits as well. It's not a crash diet situation. You're making changes slowly so that you're building in healthy habits. We've touched on this before on habits, but it takes time. Weight loss is hard. What would you suggest is like a a healthy amount per week, like really loosely to lose? I know it depends on your starting size, but just generally speaking. I would say what's healthy and sustainable is probably, you know, one to two pounds a week and really not much more than that. Initially, you might lose more because of water weight. If you're looking at fat loss to be sustainable, you don't want it to be much more than that. We need three months because it takes three months to mature an egg and to produce a healthy batch of sperm. So if you've got no other health conditions, give me three months to get us working on this. But if you've got then a lot of weight to lose, you could be adding in six months today, even longer, maybe. And I know that's a really tough one to hear. It's important that this is done right in the right way. And as I say, slowly and, and sustainably. Also, dropping weight incredibly fast is really stressful on the body, isn't it? And I know in the times that I've tried to do it, I'm more stressed, more anxious, more on my nerves, just the hangriness that comes with it. You have the time pressure, obviously, that you want to lose the weight as quickly as possible so you can get on with the business of getting pregnant. But also you have to be relaxed. That's the rub, isn't it? You're trying to get the right level with both things and sometimes it can feel a bit contrary can't it yeah it can be really frustrating and you know let's say if we're in a stress mode and we're producing the stress hormone cortisol that's a fat storing hormone because so that can put the brakes on on the fat loss that way as well so it's really tough one but you just need to look at the long-term picture i think if you're making small changes that are sustainable, you won't even think of them as changes, almost think of it as dieting because it's, you're just, it's just your way of life. That's it. Would just, as you say, it would just become a habit like brushing your teeth. Regardless of what the scales are saying, you're going to be feeling better. You know, even if you're not losing weight on the scales initially, you're going to be healthier if you're making these changes. You're going to be feeling better mentally as well. The one thing that I quite like, and this actually, Julia, is a result from me and you working together, is being a lot more mindful, but I've just changed things very slowly. So I have reduced my carbohydrate intake at the minute. 
basically I was eating too many bagels. Okay. So I'm, you know, and that is the truth. I was eating way too many bagels. I have gone lower carb and I have to say, I feel a million times better. It's made a massive difference. I'm not having the sugar crashes. I'm not bloated. I'm not uncomfortable. I'm not really sure what the scales say, but I feel better in my clothes. I think it's, it's a real thing. But the other thing you've said before is eat the rainbow which I know that people kind of throw around. But for me, that's a really easy, non-calorie counting way to eat in a healthy way. It's a nice, mm-hmm. easy way to get started because it is intimidating yeah. and overwhelming. And I quite often work with my clients, when they're a bit further down the road with me, I'll say, right, let's do a diversity challenge. And I'll give them a little form and I'll, I'll say, right, your challenge is to eat 30 different plant foods a week. And the, the look on their face is a look of horror. I think, how can I eat 30 different plants? But then when I say to more herbs count, so if you're eating basil and, you know, putting basil in your cooking and then you're putting thyme in your cooking, that's two already. You've got two there and nuts will count as well. But, you know, we're talking about plants here. And actually, it's quite easy to clock that up when you think of different ways of, you know, getting herbs and spices in and all different ways of getting different foods in. And then a trip to the supermarket and trying something new, trying something that you've maybe not tried before or getting a veg box delivered to you and you know sometimes they do those mixed boxes and you you don't even know what's coming and then you're going to have to use it because it's arrived and just trying something new for the first time it almost ticking off the different colors have I had something red today have I had something yellow because each one has different plant chemicals and each of those have different benefits I like it it just makes it nice and simple do you do recipes when you're working with clients is that something you can support people with everyone's different so some people really want to be told this is what I should be eating Monday Tuesday etc and I want to stick to this meal plan and that's fine I, I have meal plans and if that's how you want to work absolutely and other people prefer the guidance and just give the guide that options are thing to try for breakfast or lunch or dinner or even just talking them through how their plate should be looking works for some people so again it just depends how busy someone is what their cooking skills are like good place to start is to start doing a bit more cooking from scratch because I think then you know what's going in the food you know that there's no additional chemicals there's no nasty fats or anything in there that we don't want in there Julia, when I'm in the chemist or in my supermarket, I will always see so many shelves of pregnancy supplements. Are they required if you have a balanced diet or is there certain supplements that are really good to help support that diet as well? That's a big topic. And I have lots of women and couples that I see that come to me and they literally have a shopping list of supplements that they're taking. You know, they've read a book or they've been Googling, you know, on Dr. Google and read that X, Y and Z is supposed to help them get pregnant. Um, or the classic that I'm hearing a lot more of is they say, well, my friend took this and she got pregnant. So I'm now I'm taking it. But it really isn't a case of the more the better. You know, your liver has to process everything that you're taking. And so it's really about taking the right supplements for you. And sometimes actually less is better. And sometimes actually I'm stripping down what people are taking and saying, you don't need this. Let's look at what is actually right for you. But are supplements needed? I mean, our soils are depleted compared to 20, 30, 40 years ago. There was more nutrients in the soils then. Potentially there's less organic food. Sometimes we can't always get hold of organic foods. Sometimes our our food is less local and we can't necessarily get everything we need. Then we've got people that are following certain diets. So vegans, vegetarians, they would be potentially missing out on certain nutrients that ideally need supplementing. But I think really the approach should be food first. So without anyone that I'm working with, I'll say, look, let's get the diet right. Make sure all the good food is going in. Supplements, their role is to supplement your diet. If your diet is poor, supplements will be a waste of time and your money. And I'm sure you've heard the phrase that you can't out supplement a bad diet. And it really is true. So it's important to get the diet right first and then look at the supplements. 
And then I think it's a question of, you know, really quality over quantity in the supermarkets. And I have to say a lot of the supplements there do have lots of sort of fillers, sugars, incipients. Sometimes it's better to pay a little bit more for a good quality practitioner recommended supplement than something maybe that you might find in in the supermarket. Especially for fertility, I do think there is a role to play for them. It's just about knowing what's right for you. And again, everyone's difference has got to be personalised. What type of nutrition would you advise just generally for people who are working out and maybe training for a half marathon? Just to put that one out there, Julia, for no particular reason. (laughs) So I'm not a sports nutritionist, I have to say that. I think the first thing is to make sure you're eating enough, not skipping meals. That is a stress on the body and can affect hormone balance. So, you know, making sure you are fueling your body. And then it's plenty of protein for supporting muscle repair and muscle building. But I'm not recommending protein powders here. And I know a lot of people take them, especially a lot of gym goers or runners are on the protein powders. I much prefer real food. (laughs) You know, a lot of them are heavily processed. They'll be high in sugar or if not, there'll be lots of sweeteners in there, which impact our gut microbiome. And, you know, look at the labels. You'll often see emulsifiers on there, which again, research has shown they can impact the gut microbiome as well. We should be able to get protein you need from food. And don't avoid those carbs. You know, we need those for important for energy and recovery. Julia, this may be not in your wheelhouse, but do you have any opinion on when to take the protein? If you are going for a workout, would you recommend taking it before or after? Are you asking for a friend, Roisin? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> We're in such a snacking culture where people maybe have a mid-morning snack, afternoon snack. We feel we need it to keep our metabolism going or something like that. You know, we need the snacks. But I'm actually a big advocate on three square meals a day and nothing in between because we need four to five hours in between meals for our digestive system to repair itself and needs to sort of have a break, burn fat. That's when the fat burning can happen. But if we're constantly putting food in our mouths, our digestive system is always working, kind of digesting that food. So if you're doing that, then there's going to be protein at some point, probably. I mean, obviously you don't working straight after you've had a meal, but there'll probably be protein that you've had for your breakfast, for example, And then maybe an hour or so later, you're working out and then you're having your lunch where there's protein as well. So, you know, you need to be having protein with every meal. It should be a good quarter of your plate should be some sort of protein. Yeah, I do love a snack. (laughs) I love a brew and I love a snack. Yeah, exactly. Talking about protein, which is obviously really important. um, An obvious source of protein is meat. But you and I have both worked with uh, vegetarians before. Just, you know, very quickly, could you just give us a couple of go to sources for protein for people who perhaps don't eat meat? It's harder if you're not eating meat and you're not eating fish. What do you have? So plant proteins, obviously your beans and your lentils, really good sources. So making sure getting plenty of those, all all the different legumes there. And also tofu is a good source. I would, wouldn't have it too often because there's, there's a link with potentially with thyroid function, some research saying there. But if you go for good quality or organic tofu, then there's definitely a place there. But you, more of your focus is going to be on, on the beans and lentils and, and legumes really you may need to supplement the, the certain nutrients that you might not be getting from meat. Um, iron levels might suffer. So that's an area worth testing. B12, for example, one that we get from meat. So you need to just be a little bit careful. Julia, just to finish off, we have had so much awesome information. Could you give us three takeaways when it comes to nutrition for fertility? Okay, so number one, I mean, I've mentioned these already, but probably, you know, adopting that Mediterranean way of eating, the way you're eating, the social side of things, but also making sure you're getting all those different foods that I talked about. I'd say the second one, it really is all about the vegetables and making the vegetables the hero of your plate. 
I'd say the third one was, you know, have a review of how much processed foods and sugar is in your diet. And I'd also say if I was allowed a fourth, I'd also say assess your lifestyle. Don't underestimate things like the importance of sleep and stress, for example. You know, they're areas I always work on with my clients as well, because it's not just about getting the diet right. It's obviously, as you know, Marie, the movement, but also the other factors as well. It's about doing all of these in order to get good results. I can talk about this forever. Thank you. For anyone that wants to find you, and I, on a serious note, I would highly recommend uh, you get in touch with Julia if this is an area that you are interested in. I have worked with Julia and she just knows so much information. And I know for a fact that she has helped many people um, get pregnant as well. Julia, where can people find you if they'd like to get in touch? I'm on Instagram. My handle is at Julia Young Nutrition. And then uh, my website is www.juliayoungnutrition.com. On the homepage, there's a link to have a free fertility review. So I offer everyone 30 minute chat with me, no obligations, just a chat about their fertility journey. I can help them plan their next steps. And then if they are interested, we can talk about that. Brilliant. And we will put all of that detail in our show notes. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week. And please rate, comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend that you consult with your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.